This is Politicking with Curtis Schoon with special guest Jason Whitlock. Good morning, Jason Whitlock. How are you today? I'm awesome. Uh, had a good Mother's Day visit in Cincinnati with my mom and my brother and his whole family. And me and my brother cooked all weekend and let my mother and his wife, you know, kick back. Well, that's great, man. Uh, uh, things was pretty quiet on my end. I didn't get to see my mom this Mother's Day, but um, I, I got to go visit her soon. We got a lot of interesting things to talk about today, from Tim Tebow and Colin Kaepernick to the Obamas to uh, Ahmaud Arbery, Corey Bush, and of course, Kevin Samuels. I know the ladies want to hear that, you know? <laughs> so let, let, let's, get, let's get cracking with Tebow and Kaepernick. There's been talk that Tebow getting a contract with the Jaguars is, is somehow a reflection of the racist, uh, racism in the NFL because Kaepernick hasn't gotten a, um, a, a, a tryout. So a lot of people, they're looking for racism under every rock they can, they can find. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, I think that to run out Colin Kaepernick as an example of racism is preposterous and one of the dumbest things uh, I've seen that some of us in the media, social media have done. I just, and again, it's like, you can tweet out things and put it in an atmosphere. Look at all these likes and retweets and I've made a great point. Look at how many people are gassing me up. And, but, but how does, how do the people who disagree with you respond to that narrative? And cause again, as far as I, there is no dislike button <laughs> on, on, on Twitter. And so we never get to weigh like, how is this stuff actually landing? And so I just want to walk people through just why I see this as stupidity. And, and what it says, what it actually says about racism, we keep latching on to Colin Kaepernick. He's been out of the league for five or six years. Uh, we can't point to him as an example of racism. Let's just look at the facts. White mother, an alleged black father who we've never seen or has never been identified, mixed race abandoned by these mixed race parents, white woman, black man, white woman gives him up for adoption to a white suburban family. And they raise him up to be a college athlete and all the way to the NFL. And by age 26, 27, Colin Kaepernick's made between 50 and $100 million from the NFL. And we want to say that's our proof of racism. What happened to him and the way he wasn't allowed to be back into the NFL that's proof of racism. If racism has diminished to the point that an abandoned African-American black kid can be, that makes 50 to $100 million, if that's our proof of racism, he's the modern day Emmett Till, if, if, if that's our, and again, keep in mind, he's African. Again, and, 
you know, so I, I'm not saying that to diminish him, but he's only half black, allegedly half, but we've never seen the father. Uh, but a guy that makes it all the way to making 50 to $100 million, that's our smoking gun that racism is still alive in America. That's a joke. That, that's a joke. And that's how it lands. All, and there may be a bunch of people that retweet it and like it or whatever, but there's a bunch more people that's like, man, that's some bullshit. The, the, and then to analogize it to what's going on with Tebow, because his former college coach is now an NFL coach and is giving him a one-year minimum contract to try out a tight end at tight end, switching positions. Tebow no longer a quarterback. This is what they wanted Tebow to do years ago. It, it, there's just no analogy here between what's going on with Tebow. Tebow wants to play football. Kaepernick doesn't. Can you imagine if Tebow was black and they made him switch from quarterback to tight end? There you go. After winning the Heisman and leading teams in national championship, do, you know, won a playoff game. And here they are forcing him to switch positions to get back into the NFL. The victim Olympics is kind of, it's just bizarre. I'm wondering if these people are, are not very smart, if they have mental issues, because the people would sense their arguments make no sense whatsoever. Because don't get me wrong, if I see racism, I'm gonna call it out. But they, they're not consistent, they're all over the place. So uh, one of the, the Jaguars players, Daquan Jones, he, he tweeted out that the Tebow deal is proof that personal relationships mean more than actual ability. And, and you know what? I think a lot of people, black and white and other, have benefited from personal relationships in their profession. There's a saying that um, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And, and that statement is colorblind. It's just that when it doesn't work in your favor, you have a problem with it. I'm pretty sure the fact that Tebow played for the coach, uh, what's his name, Urban what now? Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer in college. They won, what, two championships or something yeah. like that? Mm -hmm. I mean, if I'm the coach, and that was my guy in college, and we, we won together, the least I could do for him and race has nothing to do with it, is give him a one-year minimum to at least get back in the league any way he can and show his skill. Because Urban, he saw Tebow in his prime. So he knows what Tebow can do physically, or he knew what he, what he did physically. And maybe he's hoping there's some of that spark still there. I see nothing wrong with him uh, giving him a shot based on that. I think players get get deals all the time because the assistant coach or somebody worked with them in the past. Is that a far-fetched thought? It's not, but take the comments by Daquan Jones. Do you have exactly what he said? It, it was... Um... Because... 
because it just doesn't stand up to resistance, what he's saying. If, if his exact statement is that this is proof that personal relationships matter more than talent, I, just think this through. And this is the, the whole problem with, with social media. He says Twitter. go further, but you can pull his tweet up though. He tweeted it. I know, what did he say? Uh, exactly. he, said, he said, I paraphrased it, personal relationships. He said this Tebow deal is proof that personal relationships go further than actual ability. Okay, so let's just put that to the test in the NFL, if what he's saying is true. I, I think according to everybody, there's a crisis of NFL black head coaches in the National Football League. There's three, four, handful of them. The majority of the coaches are white the head coaching level at the coordinator position, majority of them are white. If personal relationships, primary driver, and because basically what he's saying is, look at this white dude, he's cool with this white coach and blah, 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 blah. Why is the league 75% black? If it's all based on personal relationships, wouldn't that be advantageous for the white players? And, and wouldn't that, I mean, cause I think white players are, you know, basically 23% of the league or so, something like that. Uh, and so it, it just, th this whole thing, like Tebow's experiencing white privilege in the NFL is a joke. Cause it's just not true. Talent reigns supreme in professional sports. Anybody that played athletics at any level, at any level, you can go all the way down to Pee Wee. Go look at how coaches treat the most talented player as opposed to everybody else. That will even supersede. If your dad is the coach of the Pee Wee team, he might favor you. But if somebody with some real talent shows up, <laughs> that'll even trump because your dad wants to win. Mm -hmm. And so, look, if 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 the talent is close, or or you can justify that, dad might, you know, uh, I'm gonna put my boy out there. But if it ain't close, he gonna switch his boy to a different position. I've seen it with my own eyes. And so, talent reigns supreme in support in sports. And Daquan Jones knows it, or someone needs to inform him. But there's no resistance anymore to anything, any of these professional athletes and anybody we've put a blue check on or decided they're elite. They just get to say shit. And there's no resistance. No one questions anything they say. And I don't look, he just put it out over Twitter. That's not, and, and maybe people have hammered him over Twitter. But the media, to me, should point out the stupidity of that statement. Tim Tebow is getting his shot because Urban Meyer still believes in him as an athlete and as uh, a good locker room guy. You they have. You don't think past history plays a role? Well, he believes in him as an athlete because of their past history. He's seen it with his own eyes. And so, and he believes in all these intangible qualities that Tebow had and what he contributed to that University of Florida locker room and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and so their past history plays some role, 
But whether or not he makes that roster or not, the guy, it's it's a tryout for a guy yeah. in his early 30s. It's not a guaranteed spot. Yeah, I, I get that. I get that. He got him in the door, but he got to stay in the in the room on his own. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I get that. Because I was thinking about, like, maybe when Dwayne Wade played with Cleveland, clearly he was only there because LeBron James, he, because of who he knew, he wasn't the best person available for that spot, not at that point in his career. So there's some credence to people thinking that relationships play a bigger role in some instances, not all. Again, if the coach is winning or, or wants to win, I got to agree with you, Jason. But the, I, I, just because of my own personality, if I was Urban Meyer and Tebow was my college star and we won two, two championships, two national titles together, and he wanted to try his hand, Look, I would have made room for him, man. For a one-year contract, not a major. I wouldn't made. I wouldn't uh, made a contracts ain't even guaranteed in the NFL. Exactly. I would have. I would have said, "Come on, come on, son, let's do it." I I owe you that much. You got. You played a big role in me being here, so let me give you another chance. Come on, let's do it. I I I think there's some credence to the fact that that relationship played a part. I I want you to react though more to the Kaepernick version of this or side of this how and why are we still rolling this dude out here as this flaming example of the inequality or racism in sports or even in america why are we still latching on him this is a joke to me Curtis. the, the same reason people who have never had any interactions with the police a fuming with police brutality and profiling because if you don't have authentic examples of the very thing that you stand on that makes you relevant in your conversations on your youtube channels on your twitter profile you got to go out and, and and fucking create it colin kaepernick is not a victim of racism colin kaepernick i don't believe gives two shits about police brutality. I think Colin Kaepernick is a fucking grifter. I think he found a new hustle, a new identity, and one that does not have an expiration date on it. Because as a pro athlete, as you age, I don't care who you are, even Michael Jordan got too old to compete at the level he once did. You got to transition to something else. Colin Kaepernick sees the moment and he became, you know, a martyr, so to speak. And I think that there's a lot of people who would like to make similar moves on different levels, who will uphold him as an example of the very things that they're going through and what they're talking about. So you got all these talentless people, or they're lazy or whatever the fuck, man. They just... They want it easy, so they're going to find these angles. And I'm not being an apologist for for racist and a race and and, and so-called institutionalized racism. My thing is, whether there's racism out there or not, and so all of us, I believe, encountered some things that we could say. I, I think I just encountered a racist, right? But that may not 
you can't use that one experience or that handful of experiences to sum up your total life. You got to find a way to circumvent challenges, whether it be racism or discrimination. People discriminate against each other for, for the regions that they're from. People from the South don't like people from the North and people from the North don't like people from the West. And this is just human nature. And, and when you try to uh, legislate emotions and you set your expectations to this utopia that everybody seems to want, you're bound to fail. And I think that's exactly what they're looking for, a built-in excuse for why they didn't make it. So yeah, those people would gravitate to a Colin Kaepernick and his $100 million because he's proof of the victimhood that they're experiencing right now. I, I, want, I don't know if me telling this story will make sense or is worthy of being retold, but I, I'm going to share it just to, I don't know, because it, it fits in terms of, look, I've seen racism in sports firsthand. Okay, and, I'm sure. And, <laughs> and I'm going to cite a couple of different examples. I saw it at the high school level. And I saw at the college level in terms of my playing experience. And at the high school level, uh, we had two, the demographics of my high school changed and my school system changed throughout my whole educational process. Uh, it went from a predominantly working class, uh, white school system to now it's a predominantly black, poor class system. And I, my class was at the forefront of this transformation that happened over a 30 year period. And we, when we had a high school basketball coach that liked to have two black dudes on the basketball team. That was his quota. And it caused two of my best friends to, and I wonder if I'm gonna call them by names, Willie Clark and Michael Atkins to get cut from the team. And this had an amazing impact. These, these two do two, two white guys that experienced some real white privilege. They were stars of the football team, but weren't very good basketball players were allowed to make the team because this coach favored these white kids, Landshab and Bob Espy. It was criminal what happened to Mike and Willie. They were the stars of, Mike and Willie were the stars of the junior varsity teams, the leading scorers and all that, and then couldn't make it. And these two guys that rode the bench the year before did, it was crazy. For one of my boys, it really damaged him. And I, and I can say that 30, 40 years later, getting cut from that team really damaged him. Another one of my boys has gone on, had a very successful uh, business career and, you know, the whole nine, it, 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 it just, it didn't destroy his confidence, undermine his confidence. The other kid was, Mike was the better basketball player and it just really undermined him. And that left, and I can remember at the time, we complained about it. Hell, I was, I mean, I was just a high school kid. Anybody from my high school can tell you, I used to sit in that coach's office and talk shit on him uh, 
the entire that whole season. Next year, the guy left. Basketball team had the right makeup, had a great season. <clears throat> in college, in college, we had two linebackers. Man, I'm friends with both of these guys, and it, it's now I'm real tight with one, Timmy Shue Walton. I'm friends with the other guy named Greg Garnica. And our college, Ball State University, our coach, favored the white linebacker, and this dude was three-time Mid-American Conference Defensive Player of the Year. Three times. He was never, he wasn't first team all MAC until all conference until his senior year. He wasn't, they they padded his stats, they did everything to hype him up. And Timmy Shue Walton was our best player, MVP of the team, went on, had a cup of coffee with a couple of NFL teams. The other guy, Greg Garnica, never got a drop of coffee in the NFL. No one ever tried him out. Mm-hmm. The shit was crazy. And we talked about it all four years we were there. Like, wow, man, why are they favoring? And to me and to us, it was clearly like racism. And, and this shit needed to go away. And uh, it's to me, it's one of the main reasons why our head coach never amounted to much, even though he won a couple of conference championships, but he could never elevate past that. I've seen the bias and the discrimination firsthand. And I've seen, again, to, <laughs> both Tim and Greg Gardner, both in the Ball State Hall of Fame now, I insisted that they put <laughs> Tim in the Hall of Fame years later. Uh, but, but again, having like seen real shit happen, that's what I find so offensive about Colin Kaepernick is because it's just not real. It's not a real example. And, and people want to run it out there. And it like it to me, it undermines the real stuff, the real unfairness that happens. And again, I call it more, I, I think I've cited two examples that I think were based in race, but mostly what has been unleashed into the world is just unfairness. And it's been there since the inception. Those of you that have a biblical understanding of the world, it started with Adam and Eve and unfairness was unleashed into the world. And racism is just a form of unfairness. Everybody experiences and deals with it. And and it comes down to, are you going to fold? Willie Clark never folded. Mike did the best that he could, didn't have quite the family support that Willie had. And I'm sorry for calling these guys names out. I hope no one run, but Tim Walton never folded. Great uh, spiritual background or whatever, great family. Him and his wife have built, uh, you know, made it to the NFL and all that. But I, I, I just think when unfairness comes, it's just how do you deal with it? And whether it's racism or sexism or whatever, maybe somebody just or don't favoritism like favoritism or it's just, it's just so many different things, man. It's just tough. How do you deal with it? And to me, Colin Kaepernick has experienced virtually nothing. The NFL tolerated that bullshit he did because he was upset that he got beat out by Blaine Gabbert, but Colin Kaepernick has not been touched by racism. He's actually been touched by 
uh, a privilege and a blessing, a blessing that that white family took him in when his own parents didn't want him. This guy should be falling to his knees, thanking God for the mercy and grace that the world has shown him. His own parents didn't want him. Some white people took him in and nurtured him to the point that he could be a, a professional athlete and experience that kind of financial success and celebrity. The Kaepernick thing is just fingernails on a chalkboard to me, man. The bottom line is Colin Kaepernick is not a victim. He's been very successful in life and he's gonna to continue to be successful. Um, there's no need for people to bring his name up as an example of how horrible America is because it really undermines their own argument, you know? But again, he's not the only one. And there's a, there's a way of thinking that's being promoted. And it, it's, it's almost like a, a mass indoctrination that these elitist Blacks, bourgeois Blacks, who are doing quite well in the American system are always talking about how hard it is to deal with racism or how scared they are. Michelle Obama says she's scared to walk her dog and she's worried about her daughters having a driver's license, getting pulled over by the police. This woman and her children have secret service with them wherever they go. What kind of bullshit is she talking? But when, when you, when the average black person hears this stuff ad nauseum, they start believing like, man, if, Mo if Michelle Obama and Colin Kaepernick and LeBron James are scared, it must really be dangerous out there. This virtue signaling shit is, is out of hand. People aren't experiencing the things that they're complaining about. And they complain with such vigor and passion. You would think the cops just cracked their head yesterday. I, you know, I, you know I, let, let me, let me put some framework around what you're talking about, just so hmm. anybody that's unaware. The New York Times, Charles Blow, who you said is appropriately named. Yes, he uh, is. <laughs> uh, columnist for the New York Times wrote this piece about how the Obamas can, they're, they're freed in their blackness. They're black now. They, you know, now that they're out of office and they can be fully black. And let me find this quote from Michelle Obama. Uh, oh, yeah. In this article that he wrote, she said, I know that black people and I know that people in the black community don't feel that way because many of us still live in fear <laughs> as we go to the grocery store or worry about walking our dogs or allowing our children to get a license. And I'm she said this in an interview with Gail King. He's quoting from the Gail <sighs> King interview. Uh, I, I, I'm, when is the last time the Obamas have been to a grocery store? Seriously, that, that, that I, I was, I've been thinking about this for a while in terms of 
LeBron James and Michelle Obama and all these other elites that don't do shit, that they have servants that go out and do all the stuff that normal people do. And it's through no fault of their own. You know, they have so much celebrity, it would be high risk, blah, blah, blah. But, but why we're running them out there like they're spokespeople for everyday people when they haven't lived in everyday life for a long time. I'm just sorry, LeBron James has been rich and privileged a lot longer than he was poor and unprivileged. I mean, just a lot longer because the shit with LeBron started around age 14 or 15. I was just thinking that. And so it wasn't just when he made it to the NBA, the world started catering to LeBron at hell, maybe age 11 or 12, if not early, because he showed this immense talent. And so, and then, you know, the Obamas, how long have they been in this political space now? Eight years in office, four years of Trump, the four years previous to that, they've spent their last 20 years living a life of privilege, pretty much. And certainly now that they're damn near billionaires and but, but the whole article blew my mind, Curtis, because I'm just like, oh, now they're free to be black. Now that he's out of office, they're free to be black. And I'm like, they, they wasn't free to be black then? It, it, after you turn over power, now you can be black? These people are a joke to me, man. And, and, and I've never had a problem with the Obamas until post office. I, I don't I don't like the way they represent themselves or black people. And now, you know, to me, if Obama was really about this life, he would have been talking about race when he was in office and had the biggest pulpit and could have actually taken the country a healthy direction. But now, instead, they're just throwing gas on a, on a burning fire. He said he wasn't the president of the Black Americans. <laughs> you know, um, Obama, both of them, they're podcasting. Oh, Michelle has a podcast. I mean, I mean, this is a podcast, but I'm not a former president or, or I wasn't married to a first lady or anything, a prime minister or anything. Don't they have better things to do is what I'm I'm saying. Obama was in a, he has a Netflix deal. And, And when you look at the things that they're doing, right? It's obvious that they are being positioned to continue an influence on the black community which is why they speak of race. He's at Netflix because he's doing the documentaries and, and all this. I saw him in, the, um, in the, the Godfather of Hollywood, I think is the title about Clarence Avant. And Obama was talking about Avant. You would think that Avant was this, this guy that wielded a whole lot of power. And the truth of the matter is Avant worked with Barry Gordy, in Detroit. I first learned about Avant in a film called, uh, I think it was um, Searching for Sugar Man, a film I saw at um, 
at Sundance. And you know what his role was? He had signed Sugar Man, an obscure singer who never made it, but was big in South Africa, to his label. And when they questioned him about the money, he got upset because Sugar Man never saw any of the money. And, and, and what most people don't know is that Avon's daughter is married to, to the, I forgot his name, but one of the biggest execs at Netflix. That's why he got a fucking documentary about him being the godfather of Hollywood on Netflix. His daughter is married to the boss. His son-in-law is just like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna just stroke your ego a little bit. And, and Obama was in that documentary validating this bullshit. And when you, I think Bill Clinton was too. And when you start seeing the moves these people make, you, for me anyway, I start questioning everything about them. Because if, if I'm a legitimate person, I, I'm not partaking in stuff like this. I'll be like, listen, I got a deal on Netflix here, but I don't really know this guy. I'm not going to get out here and say shit about him. I don't believe, but they will say anything for the right price or for the right purpose. And I think their purpose is to continue on with this racist narrative, this, this racial narrative that everybody's whipping black people up in a frenzy with day in and day out. It's it's every, it's race every damn where. Listen, I'm black, you're black, but I don't want to hear that shit every day. Don't tell me why I can't win. Tell me how I can win. You people, and when I say you people, I'm talking about the black elites. You've made it. Share with us how you did, if you did. Totally agree with you that that is what we should be doing is explaining to people, here's how you make it, rather than here's how, here's why you're not gonna make it. Uh, I think this race narrative thing that we have going is, <clears throat> it, it, it's a tool so that nobody pays attention to what's really going on. I, I have said for years, the greatest, most compelling narrative in the history of America has been the African-American journey. Mm -hmm. That's the most compelling narrative. And so I think the left and the globalists and the elites recognize like, man, people are captivated by race. And so it's not just black people. I don't even think we're the primary targets that they want distracted. It's, I think it's religious people of all, uh, of all races that they want to be distracted. I, you know, I gave a speech in Oklahoma uh, 10 days ago and they wanted me to speak about cancel culture. Oh man. And I made the point, I built my speech around like, hey man, you can think, and this was right around the, the, the speech, just happened to be time right after Twitter suspended my account. And, and I was like, man, you can get caught up and think Twitter's trying to cancel me. You can get caught up and think they're trying to cancel Trump. But the reality is, man, social media is trying to cancel Jesus. 
And it, it, it's if you understand American history and Judeo-Christian values and the role that our religious faith played in building up America and making it the world power and making people operate in a fearless fashion. Again, when you're filled with religious faith, you're just less likely to go, you know what, I'm just going to stay in my house for a year because I'm afraid of COVID. <laughs> you, you take on a fearless spirit and you go out and conquer the world and you do things that you normally wouldn't do. And so they have, I think, religious faith is being intentionally undermined to impose fear so that it's easier to control people. And the easiest way to disconnect people from their religious faith is to get them to embrace race as their real religion. And it's for, I gotta be careful here. Hopefully my brother and his wife won't, won't watch this. I don't wanna tell them to, but this, when I was, this Sunday, Mother's Day, you know, we watched two church services uh, at my brother's house and I watched uh, their minister preach a very political service. Oh, come on now. Very political come service. Come on. And I was just sitting there like, oh, wow. Because, you know, he was telling some story. And I can't even remember. He was telling some story about somebody in the Bible. And just out of nowhere, he goes, he experienced systemic racism. <laughs> <laughs> and the next thing you know, I mean, Curtis, I'm not making this up. The next thing you know, he had pictures of Keisha Lance Bottoms, oh, Lord. Stacey Abrams, oh. and Liz Cheney up on screen. As these women have to conquer their fear and they have to do this and do that. And I was like, oh. I go, this is everything that I'll be talking about. Like, man, the ministers are on this political thing and they so away from the word of God. But it's, it was in a, I was, it was an amazingly political sermon built around race that it, if I had, I could have quit and I just sat quietly, I didn't say nothing, I didn't tell nobody what I thought, but there were so many holes to pick through his sermon. It was like, cause he just popped out of nowhere and said that somebody, that some of these biblical characters experienced systemic racism and he never explained it. How, what happened? <laughs> it was just buzzwords, but that's how they got us, man. And and like I see Obama and both of them as the head of the snake in terms of just like, oh, we have a political oh. and racial obsession. And we've tossed our religious faith to the side. And they're making America a secular society so that they can impose Marxism, communism, socialism, the whole nine. Yeah, the, the gentleman name I was I couldn't recall was uh, Ted Sarandos. He's the co-chief executive officer of uh, Netflix, and his daughter is Nicole Avant. The do uh, his wife is Nicole Avant, the daughter of Clarence. That's how Clarence got on there. But speaking of the Obamas again, back to them. Obama has his deal. He and his wife have some sort of deal with Netflix, and I think. 
the sole purpose of them being on Netflix is not to actually produce anything, but to rubber stamp certain things. And entertainment has become a social engineering vehicle. And they are- Has become, remains. <laughs> yeah, remains, remains a, a social en engineering vehicle. And they, they are conductors on the train. You see, and it's directed squarely at us. And, and, and I say this because- That's where we disagree. See, I, I think, I think the Obamas aren't being used to recruit whites. They are being used to manipulate blacks to fall in line with the whites who are paying them and giving them these opportunities. They are employees. You say they're the head of the snake, I think they're the head of the snake of what's wrong in the black community, but at the end of the day, they're just tools like the Charles Blows and all the others. I've spoken to some people in Chicago who are involved in politics in different campaigns. And they told me, and you will notice with Obama's political trajectory, that he pivoted in 2012 to the LGBTQ community because Wall Street wasn't trying to give him any money. He did not do certain things that they expected him to do in his first term. So he went from, that's how he got in office, but then he had to find money to run because when he ran against uh, Mitt Romney, do you know both of them spent over a billion dollars? That money did not come from the black community, bro. You know, I, I got it. That's your look. Your look. So, so to whom much is given, much is required. After you, you, you use the word pivoted. Yeah. In two thousand twelve, I think it was always the plan. Okay, you, you might be right. Yeah. But it became obvious in twenty twelve because th that's the year when he lit up the White House in the rainbow colors, the flag, and all of that. Newsweek yeah. magazine put him on the cover as the first gay president. Yep. And and all these things started happening, and and he started inviting all of these miscreants, uh, riffraff, to the White House for photo ops. I think even the rapper Rick Ross was there with an ankle bracelet on, and and uh, a monitoring device because he was under you know, uh, criminal supervision. And these are the people that he invited in to the White House because these are the people he needed to connect with. He didn't think these people were important, but in his role to direct these people, he had to enlist the services of these types of people. Let, let, let me try this out go on ahead, you. Go ahead, go let ahead, go ahead. Let me try this out on you. I don't think there was a pivot. I think there was a game plan that was executed. I, and so could be. Could be. Here, here's why I say that. Look, man, the LGBT, the alphabet agenda and gay marriage and all, this is 60 years in the making. Uh, and it goes, you know, you can go all the way back to Huey P. Newton and- Absolutely. Uh, you know, and so what the Democratic Party knew was you could not bring the LGBT agenda to the forefront without destroying the Democratic Party unless you had Black people on board. That would, because 
Black people at one point, our religious convictions were so strong that we were not supportive of the alphabet agenda and certainly not gay marriage. And so you had to have a black president to get black people to get on board with the alphabet LGBT agenda in full without destroying, breaking up the black coalition in the Democratic Party. So Obama in 08 is against same-sex marriage. Exactly. That's a ploy. He's actually for it. But you get him in office, you get black people in love, more in love with politics than religion. And now in 2012, so, Obama has been installed as black Jesus. And black Jesus says, hey, same-sex marriage, the LGBT agenda, that's our agenda. And, and I've watched in my family and everybody, they hop on board. It's, Obama says it's cool. We're down with it. And everybody, and so now the Democratic Party can become the LGBT party without losing its black base because Obama has been installed as black Jesus and, and we're all on board with it. We've thrown all of our religious convictions out and we've hopped on board with it. I want to go back to, I want to make one other point or because I got plenty of time today. I don't know how much time you got, but all I got right, plenty of time. Go. Uh, Let's go back to the Charles Blow article in the New York Times. There's, again, none of that article is a mistake. That's a coordinated piece. And, and there's clues in there about all everything we're talking about. He references the movie Birth of a Nation. Yes, yes. And so- And it, Trump, still yeah. talking about Trump. But the movie Birth of a Nation is, is important because it, it goes back in my mind to my point in terms of, of the African-American journey is the most compelling narrative in the history of America. They understand the power of talking race and the ability to connect or to get white people, black people, the whole country to pay attention. And it's like he references Birth of a Nation and he says in that article that it revitalized the KKK. And so I read the article yesterday or yesterday, today, whatever it came out, went back and did some research on Birth of a Nation and its role in cinema and how they did use the movie Birth of a Nation. It mm -hmm. did revitalize the KKK. Mm -hmm. it, it was a, this whole racial narrative about the Civil War and Reconstruction and how the KKK dealt with Black people and blah, 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 blah. And it had, you know, Three million people, they said, saw it, but it had amazing impact on American culture. It was screened at the White House. Nothing has changed since then. Again, the way they used Birth of a Nation back then is the same way they're using cinema now. Netflix, their relationship with the Obamas, it's all about... The, and this whole little racial narrative that's laced into every fucking movie right now. Uh, it's all the same to stir up racial division. Nothing's changed since the beginning, 1950. That was the first blockbuster movie ever. 
nothing. They're still using it. A hundred years later, 105 years later, they're still using cinema the exact same way. And that's why Obama's in bed with Netflix. You're right to rubber stamp and to make again. Obama made black people change on a dime, and the, and basically the country change on a dime about same sex marriage. They're as it relates to race, they're still using him as a way to drive racial division and to distract all of us and make all of us more work. We think politics is the most important thing in the world. And it's, it's, it's just not, it, it's not more, not more important than your, than our religious faith. It, it I, I'm just. Listen, uh, <laughs> to begin with the black community were, were in, in lockstep due to very real racism, very real atrocities visited upon the black community from the time of the emancipation through when that film were made. There were real things. There was, there was thousands of people lynched in America who hadn't, black people, women included, who hadn't done anything. So this was a very real fear. It's not like today when people complain about Colin Kaepernick didn't get a tryout. See, we've come a long way from what it was. So now these people, what they're doing to me, what I, what I, what I see it as is they're utilizing the numbers. They're playing the numbers game. There are estimates that the LGBTQ community is roughly 4.5% of the population. You talk to them and they'll tell you it's closer to 20% of the population. I don't know what the numbers are, but I do know they don't have a majority. And because they don't have a majority, although it seems like there's a lot of money in that community, they have to find allies, a coalition, the rainbow coalition, as Jesse Jackson called it. So you take the black community who have historically been the victim of injustice due to their race, and you, you, you start making it seem synonymous with the challenges that LGBT people feel, and you develop a block now that 4% to 20%, whatever it is, you've just enlisted 40 million allies. Why 40 million allies? Because when it comes to politics, black people in excess of 90% vote one way, democratic. So you've, you've gotten a whole army with minimal effort because you're using entertainers and, and, and media shills and duplicitous politicians, at, at best maybe about 50 to 100, to deliver close to 36 million people to vote in your favor. And every Black politician, practically, in the Congressional Black Caucus, is signing off on the Equality Act, which extends the Civil Rights Act uh, protections given to Blacks who actually were hanged and 
and brutalized and had water hoses on them to LGBT people who suffered none of those atrocities and certainly not to the extent that we have. And why? Because now being black and being gay is interchangeable. Speaking of which, it's no coincidence that the person that uh, wrote that New York Times piece, Charles Blow, is he came out in 2014 publicly as being bisexual. This is after he was married, divorced, and, and had three kids. And, and his kids, by the way, are all very accomplished. Ivy League graduates, so on and so forth. Charles Blow, in his own right, is very accomplished. Without even reading his works, I can assess that I, I think he's a, he's very intelligent. However, there's other things going on. These are the people that the funding sources of every lane Black people seem to concentrate in. These are the these are the interests of those people. So that's the preference they'll have. And I say all of that to say, if you see a black person getting any kind of attention in the, in the liberal media, which is most of the media, um, they're either gonna be of that demographic or they're going to promote the values of that demographic. It is mandatory and what that does is it distorts the perception of who we are. And when people hear things enough, they become almost like your family. Because of, who, because of Obama, they've shifted from their personal values and become more accepting of things they would have never accepted 20 years ago. But that describes our whole community. And it's a slow boil. It's like the frog in the boiling water who doesn't realize he's being cooked because it's the, the temperature is turned up so slowly, he's thinking he's just chilling in the hot tub. And really his ass is about to be served up on that plate. So what Martin Luther King and them were able to accomplish in the 50s and 60s is they made racism an even more pronounced moral issue. Slavery used to be the moral issue. And hey, we undid slavery, but you can be racist. Then we made racism a moral issue. And the reason why we're so important to the LGBT issue agenda is because again, they want to make their issue a moral issue. If, if, if anybody is uncomfortable with homosexuality, transgenderism, whatever, we're, they're being branded as immoral in this society mm -hmm. that we're remaking. And, and this is part of the speech I gave last week where we as Christians and believers have been wrong. We've been very wrong. We've played into people's hands by take me, 
take yourself if but we'll just mostly talk we'll talk about me my sex outside marriage is immoral and i've done it for a long time with a wide variety of women if there's a sin that a man and a woman can commit i've committed it for uh, you <laughs> and but but we as the christians have been totally fine with that in terms of like yeah Whitlock does some crazy shit he he dates some women he shouldn't and you know sometimes he goes out to vegas and does all kinds of debauchery but that's cool that 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 that's a level it's like we put gay sex in a special category of immorality as christians i'm talking about those of us that are believers and it's been a mistake in terms of sin is just sin in God's eyes. And uh, so now the gay community, the LGBT community has been able to wrap their issues into a morality issue and piggyback up off of us. And the Obamas, again, I, I just say critical to this play that they've done and now anybody that has religious beliefs that's like, well, I'm not really good with that or whatever, they're all being defined as racist, immoral, homophobic, transphobic. They're all immoral people. And so we're just, and, and that's, again, to me, I look at it and say, that's why degeneracy <laughs> is so promoted in the black community. We are the, useful idiots the we're like the lab rats to run out and just institute the degeneracy that normalizes all immorality and i'm talking about my own immorality this is where i've come to the conclusion my immorality no different than their immorality and you know i struggle trying to uh, correct my immorality, but I can no longer sit here and act like that my immorality is somehow better or more acceptable than their immorality. If we're ever going to get back to a country that has some standards of behavior that are healthy in line, that can help. But, but right now we're just on a path to legalize everything. And I've been saying for at least the past 10 years, that in my lifetime, we're gonna legalize pedophilia, America. Mm -hmm. We're on a track to do that. And it's, it's, I just, the Obamas and what they've been involved in, this is the most critical I've ever been of them, but I'm just sorry, my eyes have been open to what their role is in what we're experiencing in America. And I did this piece, Charles Blow writing it. Again, I don't, just, I agree with you. It's no mistake that this guy, bisexual, uh, you know. Was and, married and yeah. divorced, didn't even live his truth. Jesus. Yeah, the, the whole piece to me was fascinating, bringing up birth of a nation. And then when I think about, just the Obamas and all these documentaries and, uh, you know, from 
the Central Park Five, everything that Netflix is promoting, Boom. it's all it's all part of a coordinated effort. Yes, it is to yes, use race, yes, wrap it with the LGBT issue, and just impose and normalize a new way of thinking and operating. It's 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 all part of the social niche, social engineering mechanism. De definitely social engineering. Definitely, I see it, and this is why I'm, I'm careful not to watch certain things, because and when I watch everything, I watch it with a discerning eye. You know, I I, I can I can spot when there's an attempt to subconsciously put things in my mind, and I'll turn off the TV. The thing is, right, and again, I don't just just for full disclosure, I don't care what anyone does, as long as they're not disrupting my peace and my space. And when I say I don't care, I don't mean it like literally, but what I'm saying is I'm not concerned with it because each and every person is gonna have to answer for their choices. So if you are out here doing some bullshit, whether it be legally or morally or whatever, you're gonna reap what you sow. We, we understand this. And if you're okay with it, man, I, I, I'm too busy worrying about managing my life and my choices. So I don't cause harm to myself or others, right? But as a black man, the way how I see black people are so easily misled. Um, and it's because of this blind racial allegiance and trust in people who look like us it's 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 disheartening because we are we are constantly being betrayed by people who look like us and they are doing the bidding of people who aren't like us and they do it all the time we are the only community who whose heroes are in cahoots with the very people we should be uh, on guard for. You know, it's, it's, it's disgusting. It's, it's disgusting. And yes, it would seem some people will say, man, why, why, why Schoon and, and Whitlock go so hard at certain black people? My thing is this, right? Understand, understand this people. If your brother conspires with your neighbor to harm you or, or relieve you of your valuables, who should you be more upset with, your neighbor or your brother? See, for me, it's my brother. He committed the greatest transgression because my neighbor, I don't even really talk to that motherfucker. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of days I don't really like him too much. But my fucking brother, who I love, who I would give the shirt off my back to, and this is how he reciprocates, you're damn right I'm gonna call out every black boot licking, no account Negro out there every day. Not because I like knocking down black people who got more than me. I am not envious of these people. I'm not jealous. I don't, I don't want anything they have. And I certainly don't want it the way they got it. 
I just see the damage that they're doing. And I feel that it is, it is the responsibility of people like us who recognize it for what it is to call it out and at least open the eyes of the few people who are willing to see, see it, who seek the truth. So last week I said something, I put, I posed that question that a lot of people in the comments were uh, under the YouTube seemed to be afraid to address <laughs> uh, about what would you choose, skin color or your sexuality, if you could only choose one. And so I'm gonna put a different conversation out there today. I'm gonna put it to you. Because, uh, you know, I had this conversation this weekend about, hey, man, not all things are for all people. And we have this myth in America that every, you know, you can have it all. And I, I just don't believe in that. that and, and I've never believed in that. Life is a series of choices and sacrifices, and you can't have it all. A responsible person can't have it all. And so, and I say this in all seriousness, there's a couple of women that I really, really liked and, and loved and could have gone after in a more serious way and probably been married. But part of my thinking, and this is, I'm not making excuses, this is just facts. It was like, for a long time in my life, I was like, marriage ain't for me. And it really wasn't for me because I didn't believe in monogamy. And I'm just that real and that honest. And, and, and just like, I saw my mother scarred by my father's infidelity. My father was a really good looking guy and a player and it scarred my mother. And I didn't want to do that to somebody. Not, not that I was ever as good looking as my father, but uh, my but father never... Like, you're, never had my lover, huh? you're like, uh, you're an overweight lover. Huh? My father never had my W-2s. If he had had my W-2s, he'd have been a monster. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, you're only as faithful as your options or whatever, you know, as that saying that. or whatever. Yeah, I believe that. Uh, and so I'm just telling you, I just, I just always felt like marriage wasn't for me because there was some immorality in me as it related to fidelity and things like that that it's not for me at that time. Uh, and that's, I say that to say that we're creating a society where everything is for everybody. And so uh, I, I just don't believe that. And I don't think my, again, my sexual immorality, sex outside marriage, and you know, all of that, no different than some of the other sexual, uh, what the Bible defines as immorality, and I'm a Bible believer. I think it's like, hey man, maybe marriage ain't for you. And everybody thinks they gotta be married and we gotta do whatever, but to me, and again, it probably get me in trouble, but again, I was raised in a church. I believe it's marriage is between a man and a woman. And if that makes me a bad guy, that is what I believe. But I also think it's between two people that want to practice monogamy. I didn't want to do that, so I didn't get married. And I don't put 
again, there's no levels to immorality. And so I, I just, I, I don't even know. Have you ever been married? And if not, why not? And if so, how did it happen? Or I may be digging too deep into your personal nah, life. Let's go, let's go. Yeah. I've, never, I've never been married. And um, the reason why is because uh, when I was younger, the way I was living, I literally felt like, you know, I was going to prison. And one of the things, it's ironic, the discipline that I exhibited when it comes to doing wrong was so misapplied. The reason why I wasn't thinking about marriage or deep relationships is because I saw guys who went to prison and one of the hardest things for them was not the people on the inside, it was what was happening with the people on the outside. So I never wanted that separation. And I've I've lived pretty much a Spartan existence my whole life, considering the opportunities that I've had to do certain things. Um, life was just constantly about watching my back, countermeasures to make sure I stayed free and alive. So that was my preoccupation. And, and in retrospect, I think I wasted a lot of good time that I could have been doing other things with. But in the same token, I'm very happy with the man that I am today. And all of that was part of the molding process. So no, I've never been married. And the reason why is because, I hate to use a cliche, but I was married to the game. And that's that, that was my wife right there. Those streets, that was my wife. And you know what? I was a hell of a husband until I decided. <laughs> I'm gonna say this though, school. You really just said yeah. the same thing I said in yeah. terms of your immorality. Yeah, like yes. made marriage not not an option for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was it was it was it was out of personal thing. But that's personal too with you. You know, so yeah. it's the same. We saying the same thing. Yeah, because I mean, I've I've had opportunities to get married. As a matter of fact, if I wanted to get married today, I'd be married this afternoon. That, that you know, so, but I, I understand responsibility, accountability, and most importantly, you gotta have the right woman. My, my thing now is that what I know now that I didn't know then is I believe if I get married now, I'm more qualified to make that choice than I ever was, the things that I know. And speaking about women, we gotta get to our boy Kevin Samuels and, and, and Dr. Umar feuded. For, for people listening, Kevin Samuels is an internet relationship expert in the black community. You can find him online. Uh, I mean, this guy is, he's everywhere. He's, he's taking off. Who knows, he may have a TV show soon, the way he's going. But um, what's your thoughts on Kevin Samuels? Uh, it's funny, all of this stuff came up this weekend because I showed my sister-in-law and my brother, I was like, y'all heard of Kevin Samuels and we watched some of the videos or whatever. Guy's entertaining, I, he's got a heck of a YouTube channel and a 
uh, Instagram, I think live he does, where he basically challenges black women on relationships and tries to explain to them, like, hey, look, if you want a high value man, here's what you need to do to get him. And, uh, you know, he, he's, he can be impolite. Oh, he's uh, smooth with it. But he can be impolite. I mean, because he, <laughs> he will go off. Yeah, but, he, yeah, but, he, but he does it smoothly, though. I, I could Not all the time. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he will diss them and tell them, hey, shut up, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you're doing my show. Yeah. Uh, but <clears throat> the show is, like you said, is blowing up. It's very successful. And Dr. Umar kind of went at him and, you know, said that, you know, what he kept saying about not even for entertainment should you be going at these black women and, you know, criticizing or using them for entertainment purposes to build blah, blah, blah. And I see Samuels and Umar kind of in the same lane because when I try to, and look, man, I've made no secret. I kind of, I like Dr. Umar. I, I, back when everybody else was beating him up, I was like, hey, man, this dude's kind of smart and worthy of some support. Is he perfect? Hell no. None of us are. Yeah, none of us are. Yeah. And, but, but the one thing I think, the, the slight criticism I would have is I think that Umar loves to talk that Marcus Garvey shit to get access to black women. I think he travels around the country <laughs> telling black women what they want to hear in these speeches and y'all blah blah blah. And you know, he's macking in my view. And now he's looking to me at Kevin Samuels, who's like taking that. He ain't leaving his home. He ain't having to travel around the country. He got a little YouTube deal. Just giving him. He's macking. And tell her, you know, because I think Kevin Samuels like 50, 51. Yeah, he's in his 50s. Yeah, yeah. Sure. and he's got a lot of these women calling in looking for advice, and he gets to talk to him any kind of way he wants to. <laughs> and I'm sure he's pulling numbers and, <laughs> you know, he's in DMs and all that. And so I just see them kind of fighting over the same turf, but Samuels is making more money with it, and it's a high end version. Or it, it ain't got the political baggage of Umar. It, it's he, he's getting direct access to the panties. But <laughs> yeah, look, I, 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 this is what what I found with Kevin. Right, um, first of all, my son sent me Kevin Samuels. That's how I first discovered him, and he told me, he said, "This guy sounds just like you." Right. So, <laughs> so, so I listened to him and, and you know, for the type of women that he has on his show, I think he's dead on, he's spot on. For the type of women, I, I, I think a lot of us, we have to really learn how to, to understand. There's a saying, if it, don't, if it don't apply, let it fly. If you're not that type of person, you shouldn't become too offended by it, you know? I also think that Kevin, you know, he's great at marketing, man. I think he, he I think he's careful about the type of women he allows on his show. They're gonna give him the opportunity for him to provide 
what people tune in for, which is him telling these women about themselves. And, and, and a lot of people enjoy that because, you know, it's almost taboo to criticize a black woman. Say, almost. Yeah, look, so, so to see Kevin do it, a lot of men are like, yeah, get him. Get him, you know what I mean? Like so, so I, I think that's part of his, his following too, because black women have been able to say anything and everything about black men, and you cannot respond. You just can't. You know, they're all over Twitter and it they're, they're just talking down to men. And, and again, that's not all black women. But if more women would would check them. It, there would be no opportunity for Kevin Samuels, right? Now, Umar, on the other hand, I think, I think Umar is like, and you know, I interviewed Umar. I met him personally. Mm -hmm. I interviewed him on my, on my podcast. I think Umar is a very brilliant guy. However, I think he's past his expiration date. And so now he's repackaging himself. He wants to, he's moving away from that intellectual, revolutionary, Garveyite talk 100% of the time. And he's mixing it with a lot of pop culture stuff. I see clips of him all the time on Instagram. And it's almost like he's doing things to go viral. And for me, to me, to see someone with his, um, intellectual potential and, and educational accomplishments. It's just, it, it just seems kind of like beneath them. Like you didn't have to become a therapist and a PhD and all these things to do what you're doing, Umar. It, it seems like it's beneath them. I, I think he and Kevin shouldn't be in the same lane. And the only reason they might be is because Umar is choosing to be in the same lane. Umar clearly has opportunities to talk about other things, but it's not working. So he has to kind of shift. And also because of his scandals with, with women, he's coming out as their defender now to curry favor with them. You know, he had the scandal with the conscious stripper, the stripper that he was dealing with or claimed that she was dealing with him who came out and started airing out his business and all that. And yeah, he's just, you know, he just, I think it's over. I think it's over for him. That's what I, I don't think it's over. I think, I think he's repackaging himself. He's a talented dude. He's really smart. I think Kevin Samuels' success is driving Umar's actions. And I think that's why last I think he's week, jealous, huh? <laughs> Hey, man, Kevin Samuels is making a mint. And yeah, 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 Kevin yeah. Samuels, again, he's got access. <laughs> Kevin Samuels is like the Kevin Samuels is dealing with, he's got access to the college educated, master's degree, business black woman. PhD. Doctorate yeah. degree, black woman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, no, no. He, he's a smooth assassin. That's all yeah. I can say. Like, <laughs> and, so, and 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 Umar's been running around the hood. 
Tapping single moms. That's, that's why I don't think they're in the same lane, man. I want like, them to go there. Oh, Umo. <laughs> if, if you think Umo comes over and says, with this vocabulary I got, I can, I can get some of that high class panties too. <laughs> you run, everybody wants to move up. He want to be George Jefferson too. <laughs> I just, that's what I see. And I'm, I'm not trying to denigrate the man. I'm not trying, but I'm just calling it like I see it. He been running around the hood, tapping single moms. And he's like, I'd rather, I want to upgrade. I want some access to maybe a single mother with a college degree in her own business. And and because one, there's more money in what Kevin Samuels is doing. Absolutely. And Umar's like, I can do that. And I'm gonna talk again. It's almost like Kevin Samuels hustle is I'm the bad guy. Uh, you know, I'm I'm the <clears throat> I'm the star, I'm the quarterback of the team, I'm the bad guy, I can talk crazy to you, and that's gonna make you more attractive to me. Where Umar's like, come cry on my shoulder. I know he treated you bad, girl. I would never do you like that. <laughs> That's he's gonna play the other side of it. Look, U Umar's calling people queens and goddesses, so he appeals to that crowd. That's, what I'm <laughs> That's not Kevin Samuel's crowd. <laughs> In fact, those are the people Kevin Samuels is talking down to on his show. So Umar is the defender. And yo, man, the two of them just need to do a versus between the two of them and, and do their thing, man. I, See, I, I, I don't mean, think I Kevin Samuels is going to touch it. I don't think Kevin Samuels, because I think he's like, Umar, he sees the thirst in Umar. He's like, I'm not going to give you access yeah, to my yeah. Rolodex, yeah. to these contacts in my phone. <laughs> I mean, he's not doing that. Yeah, it, it's hilarious. But, you know, that's just entertainment. And, um, and you know, Actually, I'm going to just say this about Kevin Samuels, though. There are, because I started, and it seems like his brothers, this 45 and under, are aware of Kevin Samuels, but I started getting people start, man, you up on Kevin Samuels, you up on Kevin Samuels. I do think this dude is headed for starter. Yes, I think absolutely. he's the next, I think he's the next version of Steve Harvey. Uh, you know, but but with it's a different version because I don't hear, you know, Steve Harvey's religious. Kevin Samuels, I and so what I've seen, uh, there's no religious component to what he's doing, but Steve Harvey started out with a black audience and black people loved his comedy. And then he, he switched it over to the real suburbs and built a following, you know, where he basically replaced Oprah as the conduit to white women or whatever. I can see Kevin Samuels doing that exact same thing. It, Next thing you know, there'll be white women calling into his it's, show. It's funny you said that because my my son, I haven't seen it, but my son told me that there's some clips going around of Kevin Samuels with some white women having a good time uh, taking shots off of each other and stuff like that. So, <laughs> Curtis, so, I know the path, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I know how this plays. My, my son told me that just last week that Kevin Samuels is out here with, with white women having a good old time at the beach or something, you know, like because trust me, it was just I just watched a video where Kevin Samuels talked about 
He's got a partner that's a professor out of some college in California who teaches some kind of class about black masculinity. Oh. And, he, and he talked about how white women are enrolling in his class and black women aren't. And it's the white women are coming to learn about black and they tell the professor, I'm dating a black dude. I want to learn as much about him as I possibly can so that I can be a better mate. And Kevin Samuels, Kevin Samuels was Damn. pointing out to the, the black woman is like, how come y'all ain't in that class? How come y'all not, you know, blah, blah. You got to go get if that's what you want. And yes. And so as soon as I heard that, I was like, Kevin hit yeah. the below the belt, Jack. Yeah, God, there's gonna be a snow bunny in his life at some point. <laughs> Kevin hit the below the belt. But Ke I mean, Kevin Stripe, look, you know, you know, the black women already on the attack. They're saying that Kevin is gay and blah, blah, blah. And he knows a lot about women. The I don't know what his his orientation is, nor do I care. But I, I think will he's say, been married twice, but anyway. Look, look, look I will say this though. I've never seen a man who could out-argue women the way Kevin Samuels does. I will say that, you know, look, you know but um, he's, he's smooth, he's polished, he's corporate. Uh, he said he was an uh, image consultant at, at one time. And man, you know what? I wish him continued success. I wish him continued success. Uh, I wish Umar. Uh, Same here, I wish Umar. <laughs> I wish he would get on the right ball. track and realize his potential because there's potential in him. He just got to figure out who he is and he doesn't know that yet. I would agree. And I, I guess I was, and again, I like Umar, supporter of Umar. Doesn't mean I agree with everything, but you know, I, I would advise Umar that little Yas Queen approach or whatever. Y'all, you know, that's not the energy we need right now. And I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody, but anybody close to me knows I believe in the patriarchy. And, uh, you know, I can't listening to Umar basically, and that's what cracked me up about that ministry or the sermon I saw this, this Sunday, uh, you know, hyping up like Keisha Lance Bottoms and Stacey, they're going to lead us to the promised land and all that. I'm like, shit. <laughs> Come on, are you man. Keisha Lance Bottoms? <laughs> Yo, anyway, uh, yeah. Speaking of Atlanta, man, did you see that they had a, a birthday bash for Ahmaud Arbery in Atlanta to raise money for the Ahmaud Arbery Foundation? And for people who don't know, Ahmaud Arbery was killed uh, February 23rd in what I believe is Brunswick, Georgia. 2020. 2020. Yeah. And, and in Brunswick, Georgia, I believe. I'm not sure the location, but in Georgia. He was the jogger, the alleged Yeah, yeah he, went in, he went in the house and that was under construction and he was confronted by a father and son and there seemed to have been some kind of struggle over the shotgun that the son brandished and Arbery was, he was slain. Of course, we don't know what transpired verbally before that struggle ensued. 
I mean, personally, I think that um, if you go for someone's gun, it automatically escalates the situation into a life or death thing. If you take the gun from them, what are you going to do with them? Well, just, just, I, I know what I would do. I know, but Curtis, just is your memory a little faulty again? These guys basically hunted this dude down and confronted. Yes, they did. They 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 ran him down. That they cut him off and confronted him. Yes, but the the son was in the back with the the shotgun, and he confronted Arbery, and there was a struggle. The struggle is on camera because they had a third partner. Yeah, who was following him. Who was following. It's almost like they knew he was going to be there. I, I don't understand how they organized all of this so quickly. That he, I don't know how long he stayed at the house he stopped at. And, and just to be clear, in no way do I think Ahmaud Arbery should be dead. Gotcha. In fact, when I look at the, the, three, the three white men, these people came across as not being very bright to me. Idiots, yeah. Yeah, they just came across as three stupid people. And this is why I refer to these incidents as when stupid collides. Because only stupid people could end up in these situations, in this level of trouble over something that's so avoidable. You have to be extremely dumb and ignorant to, to end up in this kind of situation. I mean, there's also footage of, of um, other people going in the house. I guess that's something they do down there. Me personally, if I don't own the place, whether it's wide open, and I'm not going in there. And I'm not blaming Arbery, but I'm a black man. I hear about all this stuff all the time. I'm not going in anybody's property. If I don't own that land, my family don't own it. I'm going to just jog on by. I'm not that fucking inquisitive. Look, I, my obviously, I think the dudes that confronted Arbery are in the wrong, doing too much. Uh, Way too much. And caused this tragic incident. Ahmaud Arbery should be alive and doing whatever Ahmaud Arbery was doing previously. He is a victim. Having said that, I'm just not sure. I don't get this birthday party foundation. It's a hustle. People make it. I saw there were $50,000 sponsorships. Yes. And $20,000 sponsorships for this. And I'm looking at this guest list that included Tracy McGrady. And I'm like, I wonder if Tracy McGrady knew Ahmaud Arbery. Were they kicking it? Maxine Waters. Yeah, none of these people people know Ahmaud Arbery. If they had seen him on the street, they wouldn't be friends with him. Uh, They wouldn't have offered him any help. But now there's an opportunity uh, to make some money off Ahmaud Arbery, build up some social media, to look virtuous and blah, blah, blah. And it's all a bunch of bullshit. You know, we're having birthday parties for the dead who- To raise money. Yeah, who, I'm just sorry. When they were on earth, what did they contribute? Do I have a problem or do I agree with the celebration of Martin Luther King's birthday? And think, absolutely, his contributions warrant that. There are other people that have contributed to society 
that have been, their lives have been lost, they passed away, whatever. And we should celebrate, uh, commemorate, and remember those people. Uh, Ahmaud Arbery's contribution is being a victim. Look, and man. I'm just not sure if that justifies birthday celebrations. And to me, it just sounds like- From strangers. There's, yeah, there's one group of people that mistreated him and killed him. And now here's another group of people that are going to exploit his life to make money and build up themselves. He's been used all he, he's he's being used all the way around, even in the grave. It's it's the grievance industrial complex at work. And the the the, the GIC has no class and no conscience whatsoever. And those people, every last one of them, those D-list celebrities, reality show stars washed up rappers and what have you and over the hill politicians they should all be ashamed of themselves but they're not and the reason why they're not is because they are part of a community that celebrates this type of dysfunction and exploitation <clears throat> it's, it's just disgusting yeah you <laughs> can't remember when you came up with grievance industrial complex but it, it does speak to that. And it, it, it's the worship of these tragic deaths and tragic people. Because I, I, I'm just, you know, all the information about Ahmaud Arbery was, and again, I'm not trying to denigrate the man. I'm just trying to speak factually. He was not a productive member of society and it's it's tragic and it's it's criminal that his life was cut short maybe he would have transitioned into something else who knows but i i'm just not this whole little <clears throat> birthday celebration we're gonna come kick it and dance and drink and party it was a drive-through donation and a virtual run because he was he run with Ahmad is what they called him because he was out jogging. And, and we're not even gonna touch the fact that uh, he didn't have athletic clothes on when he was jogging. And again, that doesn't mean he should be killed, okay? But we're not getting the whole, excuse me, we're not getting the whole story here. And, um, and those three men absolutely belong where they are. I think they're in prison without bail or something. They, they is all three of them or is it just two of them? Is the guy that videotaped, is he in trouble too? I'm not sure. Look, I, I saw- I thought it was the father and son. It's the father and son and the guy who videotaped, but I saw three people in, in, in orange suits, right? In the clip that I watched, one might be out by now, but the amazing thing is the cops body cam caught the, the guy who taped and said, I don't, I'm not sure we should have been following him or why we was following him. <laughs> the fool said that on camera. Like, like these are really dumb hicks, man. The three of them, dumb as can be. And uh, I believe the father was a former cop. He, he retired. So he should have known better. If you see a crime, you got, you know what security guards are told? not to intervene, they're just there to be reporters. And if you see a crime and you see the jogger, 
You're supposed to be calling the cops. Listen, we see the suspicious person. We're following him right now. He's heading south on Maple Drive or whatever. But you don't confront them with your shotgun like you out hunting, hunting bucks or something. You know what I mean? Like, and that's really what it looked. The optics on all of this is just terrible. And they're going to jail. But the the other part of it is that Arbery's death happened in the in February of 2020 with a presidential election on the line and it revived Black Lives Matter. How ironic is that? Because we hadn't heard anything from Black Lives Matter for a while after Trump got in office, but that killing brought them right back out and they stayed with us through the election again. And these things, these deaths, right? And I'm not putting on a tinfoil hat here or anything. I think these things happen in a country of our size more often than we care to acknowledge. But there are people who are just waiting for the next incident so they could initiate their moves. And and he was one of them. So now they have this foundation and they're having a birthday party of all things for a man that's been deceased for over a year now. And uh, it just doesn't seem right to me. That's all. If you want to donate money to the family or to the cause, and by the way, the money's going to at-risk youth to help them become influential in their community and beyond. What kind of ambiguous, vague bullshit is that? That money's going in people's pockets, man. They should send that money to that King Randall kid in Albany, Georgia. Oh, yes. Who's putting in real work. Oh, man, as a matter of funny you brought him up. As soon as I finish with you, I have to interview him. He's scheduled for today. But, you know, yeah, King Randall is doing some good work. And, uh, yeah, and, and you're right. It's a shame. And, again, not to denigrate the deceased, I just wish there'd be more support for the living who's doing positive things and contributing than, than the support we see for the deceased who did no real contributions. And, and that's not to say you shouldn't feel sorry for them and he, they don't deserve justice. But let's lock these three people up and move on and make an example for the next the next group of cowboys that want to go hunting potential suspects. But that's it. That's where we draw the line and focus on the living and helping the living. What do you think, Jason? That you've said a mouthful. You said, I mean... <laughs> That summarizes my position a yeah. thousand. And, and last but not least, another wacky. I'm surprised her name wasn't on the fly. I need to look at it again. It probably was. <laughs> this Corey Bush lady, yeah. who elected her? The congresswoman out of St. Louis, correct? Yes. Yeah. Who, 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 I went and looked up, you know, she... I wouldn't oh, look oh, oh, hold on, hold on. Did you listen to her speech when she was addressing, I think it was Congress or whatever, and she was reading and she's talking about her eldest son, her firstborn Zion, and he was born prematurely and he weighed one pound and some ounces and his skin was translucent. It sounded like the 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 the, the, the first chapter of her biography. These people are narcissistic. Everything is about them. 
if her obstetrician if her obstetrician was was uh was bad, it's because she was black. Maybe she was just bad. Maybe she was bad to everybody. It's not about you. Remember that song? You probably think this song is about you. That's who all of these people are. Everything that happens, it's about them. But go ahead, what you were saying about Corey? Well, I saw where she's, instead of referring to women or mother, oh. they're, they're birthing people. Good God. <laughs> and it literally, it, it made me question her sanity. To, to be out in public, she's a mother of two. At one point, I think she was married, now divorced. And uh, she's a pastor. A pa yeah, a pastor. A nurse. A pastor at a church with this birthing people. Is that what Mary was? A birthing person? Is that is again? This is a pastor at a church that I guess she called Mary Jesus' mama a birthing person, and it just. Well, this, she's 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 promoting that gender neutral. Nonsense. I know, and she's a pastor. And this but, again, where I just say, this political obsession we have takes us away from any biblical understanding of the world, and it takes us away from any level of righteousness or just logic. And <clears throat> I, I just this whole. And again, I know I'm gonna be labeled and probably deserve. Maybe I'm a sexist pig. Maybe that's that's what I. <laughs> uh, but but I really am not because I understand and and very accepting and supportive of the uh, value that women bring to the table. But this matriarchal society that we've set up for Black people and that we seem to all be in support and they're all Oprah Winfrey, they're all the smartest people on the planet and, and they got this. They're gonna lead us to the promised land. This shit's a joke. And you know, for this woman to be claiming to be a pastor and run around talking about birthing people, she's in love with this little bit of attention and how she turned uh, I think she didn't she capitalize off of Mike Brown and Ferguson. Isn't that how she Black Lives Matter has something to do with her rise to fame? And uh, Netta and the, the other one, yeah. Brittany Pharrell, the whole a whole squadron out of that town. Again, it's just more people standing on black dead bodies. Black dead building, men. Yeah. Building themselves up. And this, I'm just, she doesn't sound mentally stable to me. I think she, I think she's just duplicitous. Um, she's pandering. She needs funding. The people, her constituents aren't going to give her any goddamn money to run for office. And she's showing that, that LGBTQ lobby, how far she's willing to go. And she gets the protection by fighting racism. Because that, that all you got to do is speak out against uh, racism and, and you're going to get support from low-informed Black voters. And um, there's, a, there's a lot of people who go for that trick. It's political sleight of hand. That's all it is. 
you say one thing, you slip in something else, and the people who really care about what you slipped in, they're the ones that fund you. The other people, they're the ones who vote for you. You, you, you maximize the numbers and you get the funding from the minority. And, and that's the game, all black, I'm not gonna say all, but 95 to 98, 99% of black politicians play. They talk black, but that check is coming from somebody white. And that's because they can't get any money from black people because either black people don't have the money or they're not in the habit of giving money to anyone. So I'm not gonna say which one I think it is. I think sometimes it's one, sometimes it's the other. Have you ever heard the Jim Brown quote about black people with money? Go ahead, let me hear it. We buy what we want and beg for what we need. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Cause we got the money, yeah. but for shit like uh, putting the right person in office, no, we ain't got no money for that. We'll get out there and vote. And even with that, we need a van to transport us and and, and water and food and shit while we're online waiting to, to vote. Krispy <laughs> Kreme donuts to take the vaccine. Yo, yo it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's bizarre. And, and, and you know what, man? I wasn't there 100 years ago, but I want to believe that we've fallen from where we were that despite Jim Crow and Night Riders and all that, black people had morals, had tradition, had a sense of values. And now we don't have those things, but man, we've, we've kind of lost our way, generally speaking. So you get Cori Bush out there talking about birthing people, and she's a pastor. She, her and Raphael Warnock, they can be in the same church. They support the same things, just like all the black people who are in the spotlight, yeah, who are getting supported because that support, that financial support is not coming from the black community. So they have to, they have to marry race issues with gender and sexuality issues because they have, they serve in two different communities. And in the, in the process of getting these crumbs, they're convincing black people who trust them that the issues are, are the same, that they're synonymous. It's no different from what Jeremiah Wright at Trinity in, in, in Chicago did, and that's Obama's pastor. So you may be right because the pastor from the church Obama came from, he supported all of the things that Obama came out and supported in 2012. So yes, you might be right. It might not have been a pivot. It might have been a plan the whole time. You know what I mean? Look, it so, wasn't a pivot. I, I'm not sure where Jeremiah Wright was on any of them issues because oh, I, I, at, at some point Jeremiah uh, Obama disavowed Jeremiah Wright. He didn't uh, need him no more. Yeah, he didn't but, need him. Man, I've I'm sitting back. I've said enough today to get me in a lot of trouble. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we we do this every week, man. You know, but I know, but it seems like well, I, I hope that the alphabet mafia understands where I'm coming from in terms of like my immorality that I see in myself. Uh, you know, I'm not putting them on some special level or or uh, 
special level of derision. I need to work on me, let them work on them or whatever issues they feel like they have. But we have legalized and normalized immorality across the board in this country. And that's why we have so many issues and have so much racial division. And, and I'm, I'm talking about myself and I'm talking about the way, again, we here in the black community, to me, have been used Definitely. And have been at the, you know, we've been the guinea pigs, the lab rats for a level of degeneracy that they want to impose all across America um, and all across the world. And so we don't say a mouthful today, school. Well, I'm going to tell you this and we, and we can wrap it up. That for me, for me, my issue, I don't really care what, what other people are doing, but for them, if your success comes at my expense, expect me to fight back. You cannot weaponize black women against me, the black man, and expect me to stay quiet. I don't care about who you sleep with. I don't care about what you want politically. If you got the money and you could buy the politicians, then by all means, go ahead and buy them. Most of them are whores anyway for sale. But if you're gonna come into my household and my community and create all kinds of enmity, all kinds of strife. What do you expect me to do? And when I when I fight back, it's not because I don't, I, I don't. I, it's not because I'm phobic about what you do. I couldn't care less. But you are in my space, disrupting my space, sending people like Cory Bush and, and Michelle Obama and Barack Obama to create chaos in the black community. And as a black man, it is my duty to stand up and say the buck stops here. And that's my final say on it. I can't top that. <laughs> my man, let, let's do it again next week. All right, brother. Thanks, go. All right, thank you. Share, subscribe, and like our YouTube channel to get alerts for new episodes.